Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. Today we're here with a man who needs no introduction for most of you, the best-selling author of The Primal Blueprint, Primal Endurance, and head honcho at Mark's Daily Apple, Mr. Mark Sisson. You're about to learn a revolutionary new way of training so that you can run and bike and swim faster with less effort. What's the secret? Eating plenty of fat and then programming your body to use fat instead of carbs as the primary fuel for your training. So if you want to become a true fat-burning man or fat-burning woman, don't miss this show. Now before we get to it, here's a quick update. Do you need kick-butt music for your next party? Do you want to impress your friends with shameless jams from the coolest band they've never heard of? I've got great news. My new album of original music, Swamp Thing, just won an award for Outstanding Achievement in Songwriting. You can listen right now on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and even watch our live music videos for free on YouTube. Uh, So I just want to thank all of you out there who support independent art. It might seem random that I'm talking about this on Fat Burning Man, but it's a huge part of my life. And I, I think that it's part of a healthy lifestyle where you're really getting into right brain thinking with some type of art could be drawing music dance but uh if you haven't heard the past show with denny hemmingson uh please check that one out he's the lead guitarist and band leader for the tim mcgraw band also one one heck of a guy so he produced this album and uh, also check out the past show that i did with my wife allison about how music can improve and actually rewire your brain So before we released the album, I sent one to Mark Sisson, our guest this week, and here's what he says about Swamp Thing. The new album freaking destroys. If Sawyer Brown and Leon Russell had a love child, it sounds something like that. Then throw in some credence, little little feet, and a dash of Steely Dan. Point being, it's not derivative. This blatantly steals from everyone, and in a unique way, so you get away with it. Crisp and raspy, clean and nasty. What are you doing podcasting, man? (laughs) So if you'd like to listen to my new album, visit SwampThingMusic.com. Or you can just search for Abel James and Swamp Thing anywhere you listen to tunes, and I'll be crooning to you in no time. And if you're coming to my stomping grounds in Austin, Texas for the Paleo FX conference, check this out. We started up an online community with members from all over the world, and we have an exciting announcement. Many of you have been meeting up in person in your respective cities in the Fat Burning Tribe, which has inspired us to up our game. Now the Fat Burning Tribe is coming to the real world. Allison and I are having an in-person meetup in Austin, Texas during the Paleo FX conference for members of the tribe. So if you'd like to meet me, Allison, and other members of the tribe in person, we're all going to have our first ever real world party in Texas. We're still working out the details, but I can't wait to meet you folks in person. Get a head start by joining us at fatburningtribe.com. When you join Fat Burning Tribe, you'll get our new set of 30-day meal plans every month. That's a $47 value, and you'll never have to worry about what you're cooking for dinner or lunch or breakfast again. If you're ready to start eating delicious food and shedding stubborn fat by living wild, check out the Fat Burning Tribe. Right now, you can join us for a discount at fatburningtribe.com. Check it out. All right, on to the show with Mark Sisson. You're about to learn a revolutionary approach to improving your fat-burning efficiency and performance, how to program your body to burn fat instead of carbs for energy during workouts, the dangers of overtraining for heart health and longevity, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with Mark. Hi, folks. Today, I'm honored to have Mark Sisson return to the show. He's the best-selling author of The Primal Blueprint and the brand-spanking new book, primal endurance he's also the original fat burning beast an ultimate frisbee warrior and one day he hopes to play piano well enough to earn tips at a lounge bar 
Mark, thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Abel. Always a pleasure. Thanks. So once again, you're turning the sugar-burning, overtrained fitness world completely on its head. In your new book, Primal Endurance, you mentioned that 30% of marathon runners and triathletes are overweight or obese, no better than most couch potatoes. So what in the world is going on? You know, I ask myself that question a lot, and that's really what prompted this book. Uh, I started to notice 10 or 15 years ago that so many people that would line up at the starting line of the L.A. Marathon or the New York Marathon or some local 10Ks or even some Spartan races had a lot of weight to lose. Yeah. You know, they were carrying 10 or 20 or 30 extra pounds. And despite the fact that they're training theoretically, you know, putting in the, the hours training and burning off the calories and sweating the calories or so they thought, you know, so there was something kind of weird about, about this notion that, that you're training hard to compete in a race and your ability to go fast in that race sort of depends on how light you are. Right. And yet all the training you're doing doesn't doesn't bring you to your ideal body composition. Mm -hmm. Turns out that so many of these people are, are kind of stuck in this rut where they've become so dependent on carbohydrate as a source of fuel, so dependent on glycogen in their muscles, so dependent on ex ex exogenous feedings of glucose mm -hmm. throughout their training and throughout their racing that they never really get to, to be good fat burners. They just become pretty good sugar burners. And some of them become actually fairly decent athletes and can perform fairly well provided they're given a, a while <laughs> right a constant supply of of sugar in a race and for a while until maybe the digestive tract shuts down and says you know we at four hours in or five hours and we can't we can't take anymore so we sort of kind of deconstruct the the whole notion of what it means to be an endurance athlete in the old days you know we looked at endurance athletics as sort of carbohydrate management it was like how long can you go and still retain glycogen in your muscles because when the glycogen's gone then you hit the wall or mm -hmm. you bonk and the race is over and that's that so for decades the strategy became how do i manage my glycogen stores and i do that by carbohydrate loading the night before a race mm -hmm. i do that by consuming uh carbohydrates during a race and taking in liquids and and trying to uh stave off the wall by continuously adding more carbohydrate well we realized about 10 years ago that that the way to really do this, to manage glycogen, is to become better at burning fat. Mm -hmm. The more, the higher rate that you can that you can work at and burn fat, the less requirement there is to tap into those glyco glycogen stores and to use that glucose for fuel. And so we, what we started to see was that if you became fat adapted and you trained in a way that promoted fat adaptation and ate a diet that that sort of reconfigured your genes and the enzyme systems to upregulate so that you would burn more fat and, and depend less on carbohydrate, that you could you could become very efficient, a fat-burning beast, if you will. Uh, you could become fat-adapted and keto-adapted, and so you could not only use the fats for fuel, but you could use the ketones for fuel and unburden yourself of having to take in all this extraneous uh, glycogen. Now, how that relates to these overweight people who are racing, they have become good at, you know, you put at that throughput of sugar, but when they overeat, even just a little bit of carbohydrate, the body tends to want to store that excess right. as calories. So you work hard, you go out the door and you, you know, you put in the miles, but now you work up an appetite. So you come home and you replenish the glycogen and a little bit more. And it's a constant battle of, okay, now I got to go out tomorrow and do the same thing. I got to mm -hmm. run hard again tomorrow to burn off the calories that I took in today. And, and it's, and it's a, it's a never ending battle for a lot of people. Right. So what happens is if you become a good at burning fat, 
then all of that thing shifts. And now you're burning fat for fuel. Even when you're walking around the house doing nothing, you're, 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 you're burning your stored body fat. When you're training, you're burning your stored body fat. When you're racing, you're burning your stored body fat. So you trend toward your ideal body composition. You're always sort of coming down toward that, that ideal body fat level that allows you to become an efficient performer, that allows you to race at a, at a racing weight as opposed to you know carrying a, a 10 pound or a 15 pound backpack, if you will, of extra of extra weight. So it's a beautiful thing if you can if you can figure out how to do it, and that's what we've done in the book in Primal Endurance. We figured out how to get you into that space where you become a fat burning beast, you become efficient burning fat, you become less dependent on glucose and glycogen, and by the way, you you also train less now because you don't have to go out there and continuously burn off the calories. Mm-hmm. It's really about more about having fun and enjoying life. And becoming a better performer. Yeah, and I love it because it's kind of there's more levity in this approach. You can you can feel it when you kind of adapt to burning fat. You can feel that. You can feel feel that it's clear. And one of the things that I love about this approach is that you're you're basically increasing your capabilities in cruise mode, so that the effortless movement, if you will, or or as effortless as you can get, is what you're maximizing there, so that you're not going into what you call the black hole of physical activity and we can get into how that relates to heart rate and heart rate variability yeah. in a little bit but let's let's talk about what that means because I think everyone who's ever been physically active or an athlete knows the difference between hey I could do this all day or I'm dying right now so right. <laughs> how do you manage both of those extremes and what happens in the middle well so at the low end you want to become more efficient at burning fat so we should probably talk about heart rate right now yeah. so we've decided that um, we we determined that 180 minus your age gives you a pretty good high end of where your heart should be for long endurance activity. Mm-hmm. So I'm 62. So 180 minus my age gets me at 118. I'm going to give myself five points extra for having been a lifetime athlete. So yep. in the 123 to 124 range is is the sort of the high end of where I should be spending most of my time training. If I'm training, theoretically, if I'm training to, to improve my endurance capacity, my aerobic capacity. Now, in the old days, I used to race, I mean, I used to train at 155, 160, 165, 170 heart yeah. rates all day long. And I was good at it, uh, and I raced pretty well, but I was always beat up, I was always tired, yeah. and I was always sort of, tra- I think I was training myself to hurt rather than training myself to be an effective right. endurance athlete. So when you limit that heart rate, Here's what's going on. You're, that's the heart rate at which you can put oxygen through so efficiently that you could you could close your mouth and just breathe through your nose. Mm-hmm. You could be running and breathe through your nose. If you chose not to just breathe through your nose, you could you know have a conversation with your training partner and not get out of breath. So that's the point at which we know by those little tests, we know that you're putting enough oxygen through your body that you're burning mostly fat at that rate. Uh, now, it may be that at that rate you can't go very fast. You know, mm-hmm. some people. Who, who could train all day at a at 155 beats a minute or 160 beats a minute? Now they're you're asking them to train at say 130, say they're or, or 140, say they're mm-hmm. 40 years old, training at 140. Well, all of a sudden they realize if I'm limiting my heart rate to 140, Jesus, I'm only doing 13 minute miles. How can that be? Yeah. Well, how that can be is you're not very efficient at burning fat. And so if we're limiting your speed right now to how well you burn fat. You can only do 13-minute miles. Right. So as you train at this level and as you eat according to the strategy, 
over time, as you stay in that in that little zone, and let's just say it's at 40-year-old training at 140, over time, now you start measuring 12-minute miles, maybe 11-minute miles, and 10.30s and 10s. Mm -hmm. And you get down to, literally, you could get down to uh, the sort of what we've seen now is people running seven to seven and a half minute miles at that pace where they're burning mostly fat. Imagine run, running 730 miles and burning 90 to 95 percent of getting 90 or 95 percent of your calories yeah. from your stored body fat. Two decades ago, we thought that was literally impossible. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing it in the lab in elite endurance athletes, these uh, ultra marathoners. So we're, what we're doing is we're training the efficiency of your body to become faster and faster at that rate where you burn mostly fat. Yeah. And what that does is that then gives you the base from which to add the layers, the speed, the strength, and the things that come later. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And it, uh, it goes back to when I first started experimenting with kind of a different type of training. I get, do you know Danny Dreyer, Chi Running? Wonderful. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wonderful guy, great approach. And I, I decided to do running marathons and the training inherent in it differently than what I saw like a lot of other people doing, which is the gung ho, no pain, no gain. Instead, you know, it's really focused on nose breathing, kind of bringing a meditation aspect to your running so that you are kind of in that, that cruise mode instead of constantly looking at your watch and being like, I need to hit these numbers and, and, and do it that way. And I think when I was reading your book, I, uh, I didn't necessarily know exactly what I was doing, but it turns out, you know, very similar approach, but I was doing it wrong. I had no <laughs> real roadmap. And the way that it showed up is when on one particular marathon training run I did, I decided to do the first half just in that cruise mode where I could breathe through my nose nice and easy. My dad was pacing me on a bike next to me. We we're in Florida. It was beautiful. And then the second half, I decided to really race and see what my pace would look like. And the difference between the way that I felt and what came naturally for my body and certainly what you know is good for you or bad for you. The first half of that was bliss. You know, it was wonderful. The second half when I was really gunning it, you know exactly what that's like, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, no, and, like and then at, let me just say after yeah. that, I was trashed because I was going so hard for those last 13 miles that my immune system was taking a beating. I was just laid out on the couch for hours. Even the next few days, I was really sore. You see a lot of the things that go wrong, right, yeah. when you race that hard that quickly. And that's not to say that you shouldn't once in a while get in sure. a race and hammer and, you know, put it all on the line, which is what I did. That was my life for years. I was mm -hmm. an elite racer, so I couldn't just, <laughs> like, Bliss never entered my lexicon, <laughs> shall we say, when I was when I was competing. But you can uh, again train to the point that you are that your training is comfortable and you're mm -hmm. not beat up and you're not spending you know days sore from the last training episode you had. Right. Forget the racing. Just you know what we say about racing is you know you're preparing for an event, something that's a challenge greater than you would want to take on on a daily basis. So as long as the daily training gets you to where you want to go, gets you to where you need to be to perform well, yeah. then we've succeeded. But the training also has to keep you, uh, it has to keep you fit, it has to keep mm -hmm. you healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I spent so much time injured or ill when I was training. Right. You know, now, now I see what the big picture is and how it's possible to have it all, to, be, to enjoy the training more, to enjoy a life in between training, because yeah. when, you're a, when you're an elite athlete, it's like train, train, eat, sleep, Train, sleep, sleep, eat, drink. <laughs> right. That's all there is. And there's no, there's no private life at all. 
so it's a it's it's a very I think freeing way of training. Mm-hmm. It's empowering to be able to know that I can have fun in my training. I can put in less struggle and suffer mm-hmm. suffering than my office mates who are going to enter that 10k with me right and i'm gonna kick their ass yeah uh just just because i know how to train now i know i know that like like, you know in your marathon experience so the first half you did was bliss because you were mostly in a fat burning zone Mm -hmm. you know when you when when you could breathe through your mouth or breathe through your nose holding your mouth closed Mm -hmm. you're going at the rate at which we know oxygen is 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 coming through enough to burn fat you're not building up lactic acid because if you're building up lactate which is a, a sign of going into that overdrive, right. you know, glycogen thing. When you're not building up lactate, everything's fine. When you start to build up lactate, that's when you get out of breath. That's when mm-hmm. the body says, I can't I can't breathe through my nose anymore because I got I gotta get all the oxygen to, to recycle the lactate. Right. So that's that's why that metric is so important. And that's why that heart rate, that training heart rate has been dialed in so precisely. I mean, you know, again, plus or five, plus or minus five beats. Yeah. I like I say, in my in, in the old days I would train in what we call the black hole at 170 to 180 beats a minute, sometimes yeah. 190 beats a minute, for hours at a time. I could do it, but all I was doing was hurting. I could struggle through that, but I wasn't, I was in what we call the black hole. I wasn't going slow enough at a low enough heart rate to train my aerobic system, and I wasn't going hard enough to train the speed or the power at the top end. Right. So it's what we call the black hole of training, where you're sort of, you're doing the work and you're hurting, but you're not getting anywhere. You're just... And that's why so many people uh, will will be like they'll have been a marathoner for ten years, mm-hmm. and yet they they run three forty five, three forty eight, three forty two, three forty five. They never really improve, even though yeah. they're out there training hard and doing the work. Well, I'm saying, look, if you if you're if this is your pursuit, you ought to be getting better every single marathon you race mm-hmm. until you're forty, yeah. probably. Yeah. Now, I, I do have a question for you about building that base itself because you lay it out. In the program, and you actually say not to do a lot of or intense exercise while you're building that base. So, how do you maintain the the fat burning mode where you are breathing through your nose, uh, but also extend it at the same time with not pushing too far? Well, so uh, I guess the, the the main sort of metric uh, with the heart rate, you, you wear a heart monitor, mm-hmm. and you keep you use that. You set an upper limit, and you use it to keep you honest. And if you're you know out. Uh, jogging and you come to a hill and, the, and your heart rate starts to get too high, you literally walk the hill. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're riding a bike and, and you, you get the paper boy up the hill, you know, you do that. I mean, it's, it's, that's using that heart monitor to keep you honest and keep you in that zone. Now, if you go above it, it's not, it's really not the end of the world because you'll get it back. And the better you, by the way, the, the more acclimated you come, you become to this type of training, the more, uh, the better you are at burning fat. You can mm-hmm. go into that zone a little bit, come back, and all is not lost. Yeah. Right. Okay. But when you're building a base, it's it's really important to spend a lot of time doing that. Now that's not to say that you can't go out and, and like I play ultimate frisbee once a week. It's an intense game, yeah. so I can build my base all week. I can go out and play ultimate frisbee. It's a different. I'm sending my body different signals, so it's not going to damage any of the work that I did mm-hmm. uh, on the fat burning side. And in fact, it'll improve the work I might do on the speed side. And the main thing is I'm having fun. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being active. I'm having fun. I'm bringing all these component parts together in an event that I enjoy doing. Right. Now, one of the things that you, you mentioned in the book, you bring up Dr. Timothy Noakes uh, and, and basically his story, which took an about face with nutrition after he became pre-diabetic, 
Obviously, he was gung-ho with carbs for a very long time, but has kind of come over to the dark side, as the case may be. Can you give listeners out there a little bit of background about what, what happened there and how the science of all of this is changing? Sure. So Noakes was the go-to guy in the science of carbohydrate management, glycogen management, and endurance fuel. He was, for 35 or 40 years, cited probably more often than any other scientist. He wrote a book called The Lore of Running, L-O-R-E, mm -hmm. a 900-page tome that explored all aspects of what it took to become a good endurance athlete, and most of it centered around glycogen management. You know, how do we, how do we use carbohydrate to feed the muscles? How do the, how do the muscles burn the carbohydrate and then not tap into your, or, you know, use, use the stored form of carbohydrate, which is glycogen. Mm -hmm. He helped create one of the first glucose replacement products on the market. So he was like the guy. And I, I've known about him for, again, more than 30 years. I used yeah. to cite him in a lot of the work. I, I did. Well, about, um, I think just about seven years ago, he, he started to, he'd been racing his, himself. He was a professor, Tim Noakes, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, but he was also an athlete. He, he'd run marathons. He'd do a lot of the training. He'd incorporate a lot of the techniques that he helped that he helped derive. And at some point, he realized, I'm, I'm becoming a type 2 diabetic. Mm -hmm. His father and his uncle both uh, had type 2 diabetes and died of that. So he was like, he had the, really the fear of God put in him. And he said, what's going on here? How I'm doing everything that I think is right to prevent myself from going down that same path that my uncle and my dad went, but I'm, it's not working. So mm -hmm. he started to look at the research. He started to, to go through some of the blogs and some of the sort of new way of, of looking at things. And, and kind of after a fairly short amount of time, had, had just this epiphany and goes, wow, I've been taking the entirely wrong approach to endurance training my whole life. So he shifted everything around and he said, look, I'm willing to fall on my sword. I helped create this, this notion that, the, that carbohydrate management is the way to train and glycogen is the be all and the end all of, of performance. And here we are. I'm seeing now that, that, that fat burning is really where it's at. Yeah. And that there's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the opposite end of the same, to get to the same point, you have, you go through the carbohydrate door this way to feed it. You go through the fat burning door this way to spare it, to spare the glycogen. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just realized I've been telling people to do the wrong thing my whole life. And he, <laughs> to me, it was like heroic yeah. for him oh, to yeah. say, to, to be able to say that, I'm sorry, I messed up. That never uh, happens. <laughs> it, it never happens in science. Yeah. And he's caught so much grief for it. It just sure. makes me feel sad, but he's, Realize that uh, the science now shows that you can become good at burning fat, that you can, in so doing, by lowering the amount of carbohydrate, especially the, sh the simple sugars and the, and the, and the processed starches mm -hmm. and all the stuff that we've been talking about in the endurance community, I mean, in the, in the ancestral community for yeah. decades now. But by eliminating all those, you actually become healthier and you perform better. Yeah. So it's, a, it, you know, there's the, the old problem with, Endurance training was you can get really fit as a sugar burner, but your health is compromised. Right. And now we're seeing that there's a way that you can get really fit and you can improve your health. Yeah. So he's a professor, Dr. Noakes, and I was watching one of his talks and he said 50% of what we teach at any given time is wrong. The problem is we don't know which 50% it is. Absolutely. So our job is finding out what yeah. that 50% is and hopefully correcting that as science evolves, as the, the future moves forward. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, it takes an amazing amount of courage for someone who's built their career around something to do an about face 
like that. But I think that's science needs a lot more than that. But it's it's not just about the way that we're fueling. And you you bring up in the book as well. And I watched this TED talk of Dr. James O'Keefe, who talks about heart health and how it's actually much better, as you say, for your health to focus on that lower heart rate for the majority of your training, as opposed to what you said before, where yes, you can be a sugar burner, you can gun it all the time, but you might have a heart attack and die before your time. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, we've been seeing heart issues in the endurance community for several decades now. And it started with my, my generation the, 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 in the late 60s, early 70s, when the running boom really took off. And then fully until, until recently. Mm-hmm. So some of my contemporaries are still very few of them, because most of them are beat up and, and have fallen apart. But <laughs> sure. some of them are still trying to race. You know, mm-hmm. still trying to do the training. They've got this this mindset that I got to get out there and I got to I got to create endorphins and it's good for me. And, uh, but what happens is we're we're seeing lots of cardiac problems. I used to keep a, a, a you know a list of all of the friends of mine that had either been world record holders or world champions or gold medalists who had had heart attacks and died had heart attacks and lived, but had pacemakers, mm-hmm. had, had defibrillators installed, had, have had open-heart surgery, have had all sorts of, of heart problems later on in life. And I, I suspect, and I think I'll keep with a great, it's from, it's from that keeping the heart at that high end for so long. Yeah. I probably for 20 years, maybe 30 years, maxed my heart rate out for relatively long periods of time at least four times a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, I'm, I set back in the late 80s, early 90s, I set the world record for the mile climb on the Versa Climber. You familiar with the Versa well, Climber? Yeah, yeah. So I did 5,280 feet in 22 minutes and 40 seconds. Jeez. So I wore a heart monitor. I was already 39 years old at the time, but I was probably as fit as I'd ever been. Mm-hmm. I held my heart rate at 186 beats a minute for 22 minutes. Wow. I mean, 186 feet for 22 minutes. That's that's like really, really, a really, really long time. Yeah. I was basically whole, what is almost almost my maximum heart rate at that time. Right. But I did things like that my whole life that I'm regretting now because now even I have premature ventricular contractions. So I get a, a skip beats, mm-hmm. and the skip beats, the cardiologist says that's from damaged cardiac muscle. It's not a lot of cells. It's a couple of them, but yeah. they're misfiring, and you're not going to die from it. Mm-hmm. But you know, don't go out and train hard like you used to, because then right. you could die from it. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at that going, you know, if I'd known then what I know now, I could have trained at a much lower heart rate. I would certainly race at an appropriate fast heart rate. Yeah. But when you train low and then race high, when you train at a low heart rate for long periods of time, again, you build that efficiency. So now when you're when you're getting to the point where you could run seven minute mile mm-hmm. and get most of your energy from stored fat. That's your baseline so that when you drop it down to 5.30, 5-minute, 30-second yeah. mile, you're still burning fat at a much higher rate than the guy right next to you who was burning all sugar at that point. So what does it look like after this training? How does the heart rate change? Say if you can get to that point burning fat where you're running 7.30 for a mile, getting to that 5.30 pace, are you seeing that the, the heart rates come down a great deal once you are adapted, or does that still stay high when you're, no, when no, you're really the, No, the whole thing, no, because... The heart is a demand organ Mm -hmm. that operates based on the requirements of all the muscles and signals in the brain. So the brain says, I'm going to run faster. I'm going to make the legs work, you know, Mm -hmm. turnover faster. That generates a a requirement for more blood to be pumped to the area. So the heart goes, okay, I can do that. So the heart starts pumping blood. 
and it's providing nutrients. It's providing mostly, you know, it's car carbohydrates, oxygen, uh, some fat, uh, some ketones. Mm -hmm. So you've got this demand situation. The heart will become more efficient as well. Uh, clearly, if you're if you're able to to run seven minute miles at say this 140, this, this exemplary guy that we talked about. Mm -hmm. But prior to being able to do that, you could only run 13 minute miles. And if you went, wanted to run seven minute miles, you're going to have to race your heart up to right. up to 180. So now you're starting from a lower base. Now the fact you're already running seven minute miles at uh, at, at a 140, your heart becomes more efficient, mostly because it just doesn't have to pump as much. Right. I think the heart, we don't really train the heart as a muscle to be, it doesn't get much stronger than than where it's at right now in mm -hmm. most endurance athletes. It's not that the heart ever gets, you know, you can, as a bodybuilder, you're always trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. The heart doesn't want to get bigger. It just, and it's efficient. It would rather pump less because the, the demands are less. Mm -hmm. So the diet and the training are contemplated to make the demands less because the fat's already in the muscle. Right. The, you know, the oxygen's easy to put through because uh, the more mitochondria you have, the more fat you can burn, the more oxygen you can put through. It's all wonderful. And what it does is it just unburdens the heart of having to work so hard. Yes, you can still max your heart out, but the heart really doesn't get that much stronger. In fact, Ironically, there's a there's an argument that you don't want the heart to get stronger because when, yeah. when the heart gets stronger, uh, when you when it works harder and harder and harder because of the demands you put on it, the heart really doesn't have it. a nerve that says, "Oh, screw! I've I've had enough." Mm -hmm. You know, you're if you go to the gym and you try to do 150 bicep curls at 75 pounds, your biceps are going to say, "Dude, I'm I'm out. I'm, I'm done." Yeah. Or you're going to tear it. Same with uh, you know doing uh, the thousand pound squats or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the heart isn't able to, to, to say no mass, no mass. It just sort of it keeps beating, keeps beating, keeps beating. And it, there's a maximum that w at which it can beat, and it mm -hmm. won't it won't beat beyond that. And that max is sort of fixed by the DNA. But what happens is if the demands continue and continue and continue, the heart becomes scarred. Mm -hmm. The muscle actually thickens, mm -hmm. trying to get stronger. But at some point, you don't want it to get stronger because that means that the walls are thickening. And when it thickens, there's scar tissue forming, and that's when this whole innervation, this the, the waves of the heart, the electrical activity in the heart gets compromised. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what, what, what I have with my PVC. Yeah. And that's what AFib is. So a lot of, there's an epidemic of atrial fibrillation right. among lifetime uh, endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. And you can say, well, it's partly, it's partly genetic, but a lot of it is just straight overwork, overuse. Yeah. From having, having run that heart up as, as high as you possibly could and using the brain to overcome the sense of pain mm -hmm. and you know push through the pain and no pain no gain uh and train to struggle and train to hurt so that when you get in the race you'll know what that pain feels like and you know it has some value in a stoic kind of uh sure. you know uh sense but it's not the most efficient way of becoming a good athlete yeah well, it's kind of like what happens to a car when you're running high on the tachometer and you're racing it, right? That's yeah. not going to be good, especially if you're at those high revolutions during the majority of your training. There's That's a far cry from cruising on the highway, right, with the top yeah. down. And so what this does is basically makes you a lot more efficient at cruising. So you're spending most of your time there. And you have one uh, one example, or at least one example in the book of, of where your athletes are actually training that way the majority of the time. They're treating the race as their tough performance day. So how does that play out when you see people kind of 
adapt to doing it that way because a lot of times like the the approach is just gun it all the time right more miles that's better go faster this is different well like i say a, a race should be something that that you wake up that morning and you're like oh my god i've got a race i'm afraid you know yeah. you've got nerves butterflies uh, you're clearing out your gi tract and a race should be that opportunity to put all those component parts together that you've been working on and the what happened to me in my career was I would have these amazing workouts, 16, 800 at 224 to 228. And, and I'd finish them and I'd be like drained and, and sometimes I get sick the next day. Yeah. They were great workouts. And then I'd go line up at the start of a marathon and I would be at 70% of what I could have been because I trashed myself so much in my training. Yeah. I left all my good efforts on the track. Yeah. And that's just like, it's ridiculous. If I'm trained to be a good performer, I shouldn't be uh, leaving all that work on the track or, or, you know, in a time trial that I just killed it in a, in a time trial where no one was watching, yeah. but I, I felt good that day and I went hard and then suffered in the next race I did because I never recovered from that time trial. Mm-hmm. So when you go hard and like in your marathon experience, even though you did the first half easy, you hammered the second half, you paid the price for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's no way that you're going to, you know, go out and train at the same level that you train without recovering from that. Yeah. So imagine, imagine if that's part of your training strategy is to beat yourself up every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you almost never get a chance to fully realize the benefits of the training you're doing because all you're doing is practicing hurting. Right. I mean, and it's 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 ironic, but that's what people do. They practice to hurt in a mm-hmm. race, mm-hmm. and if hurting for you comes at a three running a 345 marathon that's still hurting then you'll never get to the point where where you run a 245 which, right. by the way takes an hour less of yeah. your day right you know it's an hour less of hurting yeah so. <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> but at the same time i you know because i always i went back and forth between the type a let's gun it let's go faster type thing and the let's just chill out and have a good time out here and uh, fortunately, I had a lot of examples around me of people who did gun it and were elite runners, and I saw how that played out, you know, needing a new hip by the time you're 30, for example, or just being trashed all the time, not being able to hang out with people, being sick. You could definitely tell that some of the elites were fine, <laughs> you know, they seemed to be doing everything just fine, but a lot of them were just falling and, and falling quickly, and so I wanted to see if there was a different way of doing this. And I was really happy to see it. There was another experience where I could tell that if I kept gunning it and really redlining, I probably could have done sub three hours. I was, and I was like pacing with some of those folks. And then, you know, looking at my heart rate, seeing how much I'm redlining, experiencing all of that. I'm like, this is just not worth it. Right. This, there has to be a better way. And as it turns out, you know, the way that I was training was mostly just doing, the long runs, the enjoyable days, you know, where you basically, you go out for two, three, even four hours and you're just going at a pace you can go all day. And then every once in a while you punctuate it with those sprints. But that allows you to train with a lot less injury and with a lot more joy, which is something that it seems like you really bring that to your physical activity now. So what, what, you know, from a mental, emotional standpoint for someone who wants to gun it all the time and has trouble slowing down, because I know you're the same way, what, what do you recommend to people who are kind of stuck in that to take that next step to make sure that they are training in a healthful and reasonable way that might even get them better performance? Well, look, there's no right answer here. They're just choices. And I talk mm-hmm. about this a lot in on the Primal Blueprint, on Mark's Daily Apple. Life is just a series of choices. And, and I'm not here to tell you my way is better than your way or my, you know, this is right, that's wrong. 
what I'm giving you is a set of options that uh, if you're interested in reading about the science that I've collected for this, here's a way to become more efficient at burning fat. Now, if you like to go out and hurt yourself every day, and by the way, I'm not judging that. There are people who actually sure. do that. There are people who go, you know, who, who, whose day is not made unless they've run 10 miles, they've ridden, you know, 50, or they've done some stuff on the treadmill, mm -hmm. and they've felt that endorphin rush, and they've, and they've got home, and they've collapsed in a chair, and now they go to work or whatever. I'm not going to judge that, but if, yeah. if that's your choice, that's fine. But if you come to me and you say, Mark, I'm tired of hurting myself all the time. I like the concept of enjoying my training a little bit more. I like the concept of spending less time training mm -hmm. and more time enjoying family, becoming more productive at work, not having to take as many naps. Uh, and by the way, there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. That's mental focus and, and the ability to, to enjoy your life has a lot to do with, you know, with all these other things other than training. So a yeah. lot of people are so focused on training. It's like, I live to train. I live to get my, my workout in every day. Uh, I mean, there are people who go to the gym every day and, you know, God bless them. I mean, that's your choice. But if you go to the gym every day, I can guarantee you, you're not training as efficiently, as effectively as you could be if, if you wanted to really get serious results. Now, it may be that you're going every day because that's your, that's your social hour and mm -hmm. you like the, the, the people at the gym. So I'm just saying these are choices. I've offered up a set of choices that allow you to, to, um, to play more. I mean, we, we talk a lot about play and alternate lifestyle activities mm -hmm. in primal endurance, all the things that sort of count toward your training. I've got people now who, who are marathoners, have been marathoners for 10 years. Now they hike on the weekend. And cool. now they're and, and they're enjoying the hikes and they're wearing their heart monitors mm -hmm. and they can give me a recording of where their heart rate was the whole time. And if they were going up a you know doing a thousand foot climb, they had to slow it down, they had to back it off. But they're feeling better, they're racing better. My CFO is like a, a top cyclist. Mm -hmm. He's like a you know a, a cat two cyclist, and he's been doing this. He's fifty five years old. Been doing this his whole life. You know he knew about the strategy, but because it, it's just Mark and I only work for him, I don't think I'm going to do this. Well, he started about four months ago. He said, dude, I started eating the way you said. I yeah. started cutting my Saturday ride, which used to be two and a half hours of just hammer fest, sure. you know, balls to the wall, you know, eyeballs hanging out, nobody able to talk, nobody able to do anything. We're just mm -hmm. sort of half, what we call half wheeling each other, trying to rake two and a half hours. He said, now we're doing five hours. We're talking, we're having fun. We're enjoying the day. Oh, by the way, we've all become faster as a result of it. It wow. blew his mind wow. that, that you could get faster by training slower. Because you're training efficiency. Because you're training to be more efficient. You're training to be really good at burning fat so that when you do up the ante, when you do decide to, to drop the hammer, you're mm -hmm. starting from, from a fat-burning baseline that's so much more advanced than everyone around you. Yeah, I love it. Now, we're coming up on time, but I want to make sure I, I ask you a couple more things. How do you stay young? Because I think you're uniquely positioned in this way. You're, you're someone who, uh, from a mentality standpoint, from a productivity standpoint, from everything that you put out there, you have a lot of energy. And I think a lot, you bring a lot of joy to the world as well. So what, what are your recommendations to age gracefully and stay young? Well, I think the, the number one thing is attitude. I mean, I, I still think that I'm 25. Yeah. Now, that plays out on the Frisbee pitch where I'm actually playing with 25-year-olds and I'm able to keep up with them and sometimes right. – Sometimes uh, stuff them on a long run. Mm -hmm. It's you know music. I like young music. I, I surround myself with young people and, and, and forward-thinking people. 
So attitude is is the number one thing. I mean, when I, I remember when when I was a kid, 62 was like almost dead, uh, and it was it was crazy how how old it was, yeah. and it's crazy now how. Um, because I'm, I've maintained my my physical ability to move through space and move through the world mm-hmm. without pain, mm-hmm. that I can I can I haven't had that filter layered over me that says, well, now you're old and now you can't do this. Right. All I think about is, here's what I can do. I'm the busiest in work that I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. I've got this new food company, Primal Kitchen, which has just taken off. We've got you know two two flavors of mayonnaise now, uh, salad dressings, this new bar dark chocolate almond bar. We've got Primal Fuel from Primal Kitchen, the, the, the powdered meal replacement. I'm having more fun with that than ever before, and that's just a year and a half old. Yeah. Um, we've got this Primal Kitchen restaurant, this franchise restaurant concept that's already taking off. We've got a lot of people who've, who've invested in that. So I can't not do this. It's like I don't <laughs> – I tried playing golf twice a week yeah. about 10 years ago. I thought, well, I'll slow it down, and I'll play some golf. And Well – a, I wasn't getting any better at golf, which was like really frustrating. It's like I'm going to invest six hours sure. twice a week to do this. And then I thought, you know, I have something i got to say to the world. And if I don't say it, I'm not sure who's prepared to say it in the way I am. Yeah, I've spent a lifetime coming to where I am now and having this point of view and this, and this worldview that I have. And so I feel not an obligation but a sense of joy in sharing it with people. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Now, in the, we met – for the first time, I think four or five years ago, it's incredible the changes we've seen since then in, in terms of primal paleo really going mainstream and affecting so many people who are hearing about it for the first time. Where do you see things in the next five to 10 years? I, I think that we're going to advance. We're going to move the needle quite a bit. I think, I don't know that paleo as a term mm-hmm. is going to maybe stick around, but I think that the concept of uh, the ancestral eating strategies, you know, these Sort of watching, basically watching the amount of sugar you take in, yeah. uh, cutting back on the industrial seed oils, eating quality fats, clean, lean protein, you know, green vegetables, you know, safe starches. All this stuff has come together now that there's a there's enough science and enough of a of a critical mass mm-hmm. in the in the buying public that's seeking products to fulfill that that uh, requirement. That I think it'll grow uh, substantially, and whether it's called paleo or even primal yeah. in a bunch of years. Um, I think that the, the, and I think also that that medicine is coming on board right now and recognizing that this is Absolutely. this is really the way to cure diabetes, the mm-hmm. way to address uh, certain autoimmune diseases, certainly a way to address obesity, and and in so doing, maybe lop a trillion dollars annually off the off the nation's uh, health budget. Yeah, let's hope so. So, uh, Mark, for those folks who are listening out there, you you have so much going on. I love it. It sounds like you slow down. Your workouts, you speed up your business, but I can, <laughs> right. I can personally attest that your yeah. food is amazing. Your books are awesome. You have great podcasts. What's the best place for people to find you and see what you're doing next? Yeah, so MarksDailyApple.com is a blog. We're coming up on our 10th anniversary. I can't believe that. Wow. Uh, Congrats. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Um, PrimalBlueprint.com is the is our e-commerce site where you can buy books and uh, some of the food items. Uh, yeah, and those are the two main things. We've got a podcast, the Primal Blueprint podcast, not as highly ranked as Fat Burning Man, but uh, but up there. <laughs> oh, Shaw, I've got, you got to leave me something, Mark. <laughs> you me, you're, you're killing it. I love that. I, I, I'm in awe of what you've done with that, Dave. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You've you've been a mentor and someone who has really guided the way so many times, more than you know. So I, I very much appreciate that. Anyone who's listening to or watching this, please check out Mark's work. It's fantastic stuff. This, this new book here is called Primal Endurance. It's great. 
check it out. Whether you're a marathoner, triathlete, or a complete newbie, uh, actually, newbies might have some advantage there because you don't have to unlearn so many of your bad habits. So please check it out. Mark, thanks once again for coming on the show. You're welcome anytime. Always a pleasure, Abel. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to Fat Burning Man. Don't forget, before you go, check out fatburningtribe.com. If you have a question for me that you want answered about how to improve your performance what to eat for dinner, how to drop fat quickly, how to improve your overall health, or anything else, we answer all of your questions there. So quickly, you can get the first month for just $1 for a limited time. Check it out at fatburningtribe.com. All right, I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you, and if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan, and Facebook by typing in Abel James or Fat Burning Man. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a second to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man. Better yet, enter your best email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.